0: Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about science fiction and everything else. I'm Annalie Newitz. I am a science journalist who writes
1: science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer who thinks rather a lot about science. And today we're gonna talk
0: about the reality of virtual reality. We're living through a period where virtual reality, which has been a long time science fictional dream, is starting to become real in the world of consumer electronics, but also it's becoming real in the world of Zoom conferences and Meet conferences and all of these other terrible audio and video meetings that we've been having in this quarantine period. And it's kind of taking the shine off of virtual reality. So we're gonna talk about all that, plus we have special guest Five Star, who makes virtual reality porn. And she's gonna help us figure out the difference between science fiction virtual reality porn and the reality. start by mentioning the fact that virtual reality has been part of the science fiction idea of the future for a really long time in the same way that flying cars have been part of it or going to space or reanimating dead bodies using electricity Um, One of the very first representations of virtual reality is in a 1923 novel by E.V. Odell called The Clockwork Man. And this is, of course, before computers, but there was this idea in, in the novel, men, not women, just men, have turned themselves into mechanical beings in the far future And they've all basically uploaded their brains to this virtual world where they can have an infinite amount of everything. And they talk a lot about the fact that in this virtual world that they live in, they can have like a million suits or like a thousand light bulbs. And like part of (laughs) what they love about this world is it's a kind of infinite industrial production zone where it's just a super abundance of everything except women who have rejected that world in the far future and have created a, a peaceful uh, agrarian society on earth. And this is portrayed as being incredibly negative. this this clockwork world that the men have have gone to is viewed as is viewed by the characters in the novel as a dystopia basically. And I think that idea of virtual reality has really permeated a lot of stories since then and since the rise of actual virtual reality in the 1980s. You have stuff like Lawnmower Man where, you know, say what you want about how cheesy that film is. It really sets the tone of virtual reality is kind of evil. It will turn you evil There's stuff like The Matrix, where we all are living in this virtual simulation, which is used to enslave us and to blind us to the fact that we're actually being used by computers as batteries. And now I think our fantasies about VR are changing a little bit because people are starting to buy things like Oculus or the Vive, which for some reason I bought, and actually experience virtual reality in their homes or go to an arcade and experience it and suddenly it just feels a lot more real it's not a fantasy anymore and so that's what i really wanted to to talk about today and i just wanted to ask you charlie jane how are you feeling about your experiences of going to virtual meetings and virtual conferences Uh, and
1: virtual conventions like does it feel as magical as you always thought it would I mean, it's funny because I don't really think of a Zoom meeting as being virtual reality because it doesn't have that immersiveness. I have done some actual VR with a helmet and all that stuff. I played a Star Wars game one time where you have a lightsaber and you have to like hit things with your lightsaber and it was sort of fun for five minutes. I feel like, you know, part of the disappointment of the past like 20 or 30 years is that most quote unquote virtual spaces don't really feel real or immersive or or that's kind of compelling compared to what we sort of dreamed about compared to the holodeck, for example, on Star Trek or, you know, the Matrix on Doctor Who or you name it.
0: Or the Matrix in The Matrix. Right. Um,
1: We have this clip
0: from a BBC documentary in 1990 where they describe what it's going to be like. A helmet like this could help me to believe I'm in any number of three-dimensional worlds by putting me right in the middle of all sorts of interactive computer-generated adventures. Since the scenes don't really exist, programmers around the world experimenting with this concept call it virtual reality. Basically, their idea, and I think this was very popular in the early 90s, was that VR would be like going inside a movie and you would get to be in it and you would feel all of the bumps and you would smell things and you would feel like you were a character in a film. And there's really nothing like that with virtual reality now. Um, Like you, I've, I've done some virtual reality that... Like you, I've done some virtual reality games and some quote unquote experiences in virtual reality and they can be really intense and immersive and they're definitely amazing. Like it's, it's a lot better than, you know, what it looks like in Lawnmower Man, that's for sure. But at the same time, there's not ever a sense of feeling like I've completely left my living room. I think the one time I would make an exception to that is I went to the Ghostbusters virtual reality experience in New York City several years ago, where you put on a VR rig and then you walk through a space that has a bunch of stuff in it, like where it blows wind on you when you're walking outside. And and so there's actually one scene, most of it is quite silly, but there's one scene where you, the world is ending and you walk outside of an apartment building on like the 100th floor and you're looking down at New York City and you're like on this like narrow railing and it's then they and they blow air at you so you feel like air is like rushing up at you from the street and it's pretty it felt really intense like i felt like i was balanced on a railing um and so that was really fun but i think other than that usually other than occasionally feeling nauseous I haven't really had that total immersion experience. And you and I have been watching a new series called Upload. Right. And I feel like that show is kind of dealing with exactly what we're describing, that kind of VR disappointment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that sense that VR is not quite as R as we hoped it would be, or maybe not as V or something. (laughs) I don't know. So the premise of Upload is that when people are about to die, they can choose to have their mind uploaded into a virtual world. And where you go depends on how much money you can pay. And our main character, because he's dating a really rich person, manages to get uploaded to this very fancy afterlife. And yet his afterlife isn't really that great. It's There's a lot of in-app purchases. There's lots of things that are glitchy. Um, you can see that people are putting a lot of load on the system because they won't be able to like walk as fast as they want to. And he has a handler who is helping him adjust. And she gives this great speech. Not yet, but I'd like to, I get it, you know, this isn't perfect. And maybe you were led to believe it would be since the marketing mentions heaven like a dozen
2: times. but. It's kind of better, isn't it? I mean, maybe the imperfections make it more like life because life isn't perfect, but life is the most magical gift there is.
0: And if there's God, he's amazing because he gave us life and the gratitude and creativity to keep it going as long as we possibly can.
1: I love that speech so much. Yeah, and I feel like it's part of a new
0: wave of virtual reality stories, and I would count the miniseries devs in that as well, that are acknowledging the limitations of virtual reality and looking at it as a kind of flawed system, um, a system in which people maybe deliberately lie to themselves, in the case of the show devs, um, or that they just have to kind of live with a lot of the same flaws and problems that they did in real reality.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because novels have kind of dealt with those glitches and flaws, like for a long time. Like the novel Everyone in Silico by Jim Monroe has a lot of stuff about that. Post singular by Rudy Rucker has a lot of stuff about like glitchy VR and what happens when you can't render a million trees. You just have the same tree over and over again, or everything is kind of crappy. What's interesting to me about how we imagine VR in science fiction now is that I feel like classic science fiction about VR is often about leaving your body behind. If you think about like Tron, you know, in Tron, the guy gets like zapped by like this weird laser. And then he's, it's not that he's wearing a VR suit. It's that his mind is zapped inside the VR and he has a body that's created for him, but it's not, there's no physical body of his that's waiting out in the real world. And there's other VR from like the 80s-ish where people have something plugs into their brain directly so that all the sensory, and this is true in the matrix too, plugs into your mm-hmm. brain. So all your sensory input is, is coming directly from VR right into your brain. And there's no, there's nothing in between. You don't have to go through your actual eyes and ears and all that crap versus the idea of VR where you are wearing a suit and you have a helmet and maybe you're wearing like a full body suit, but it's much more like you are still in your body and you were experiencing VR through your physical senses, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. And one of the ways that the show Upload uh, is really great is that we actually see this moment where the main character's girlfriend, who's still in real reality, is going to hook up with him for a special VR sex date, and she has to go shopping for like a rental suit for her sexual experience. And it's portrayed as really kind of depressing and dingy and gross. The suits have to be, you know, rinsed out afterward. And like, oh, man, we, we hear the the salesperson saying like, oh, yeah, you know, these suits can stand up to anything, even when grandparents are hanging out with their kids, and they throw up on the suit, it's all fine. And it's she just kind of flees from the shop, because it's the reality of virtual reality is just too gross to really enjoy. And so I think that this is part of a new wave of kind of realism in our virtual reality fantasies, where we, we remember that our body isn't gonna disappear when we go in, and that's one of the great details in Jim Monroe's novel, Everyone in Silico, is that people who are rich, they're bo- while they're in VR, their body is in this really nice spa and the body is like, you know, given facials and like works out, like goes on a treadmill every day. And like, so you can like, you know, lose weight while you're in VR because your physical body is being kept up. But people who are poor, their body is like getting bed sores and like nobody's taking care of their body. And so it's kind of neglected. And so it's this reminder, I think, that, you know, we do... there's always going to be a physical component to virtual reality um, unless we have these pure uploads. But even if we have uploads, there's going to be these downsides where, you know, you go to breakfast and if you get there after 10, all of the food on your plate vanishes because breakfast is over at 10, um, (laughs) which is one Uh of the gags in upload. So do you think that we're getting closer in our science fiction to approximating the reality of this technology or are we still pretty far away from really grappling with what it's actually like
1: I mean, I think it really varies. I think things like upload are really trying to show VR in a more kind of nuanced way and, and dealing with like the practical issues. And then you have things like then you have things like the most recent season of Supergirl, which was all about virtual reality. And it was like these magic contact lenses that somehow you put in these contact lenses and you can taste food and you can smell things because that's how contact lenses work. And, I mean,
0: obviously. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like
1: it's hand wavy. It hacks into your brain somehow. And so you get all the sensory input, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And it's, it was this very kind of convoluted metaphor for like VR as escape and as addiction and as all this other stuff. Backing up slightly, when people depict VR in science fiction, you have people occasionally trying to engage with what would it really be like if you could have truly immersive VR, trying to create that in a in a holistically realistic way. But then you also have a lot of science fiction, which is just like, let's use this thing as a metaphor for gaming. Let's use it as a metaphor for people wanting to escape reality in other ways, for drugs, for like, it's like anything else. It can be a thing that you engage with seriously, or it can just be like a thing that's like a metaphor for real world problems.
0: That's so true. I was thinking about Ian M. Banks's novel, Surface Detail, which is about virtual heaven and people are sent to heaven um, after they die, and uh, much like in Upload, where they refer to the VR world sometimes as heaven. And the virtual world is owned by a very conservative right-wing government, which views things like homosexuality as sins. Um, Lots of other stuff is depicted as sinful. And so people who are punished by the state for being sinners or for being um, subversives are sent to hell and they are tortured forever uh, because of this, because of whatever infraction they've done. And so, you know, again, it's, it's not a necessarily realistic depiction of VR. It's more thinking about virtual reality as a metaphor for religion and how religion can make us feel like we're in hell, even when, you know, all we've done is kissed a girl or whatever, I think now, I would say that at least we have a subgenre of science fiction that is trying to tackle virtual reality as a technology, as opposed to as a metaphor. And I think that's a big difference that we're seeing over the past 10 years is that suddenly, because the technology is all around us, and we're all sampling it, uh, more or less, we're starting to get a sense of the fact that this actually can't really be a metaphor for everything anymore because it isn't really right. it isn't really what we thought it would be you know it's it's actually a lot more glitchy and a lot more like real life than we had
1: hoped it would be right in addition to wanting vr to be a metaphor we also want vr to be sort of this fantasy of you know getting you can be anyone you can be anything you know there was that show virtuality where they're on a spaceship but they can have virtual reality adventures and you know, escape from the confines of the ship by going off and doing things. And one of the biggest fantasies about VR, of course, is VR sex. And you know, the movie Lawnmower Man has all that crazy, like face melting sex stuff in it. <laughs> yes, yeah, where their minds merge oh with each God. other. It's so insane. And like, I feel like, as with any technology, the moment the technology exists, you immediately want to think about how it can be used for sex. And Annalee, what do we learn from seeing all these like weird? VR sex scenes in movies and TV and everything else?
0: I've been reading about VR sex for a long time. Cecilia Tan has a great novel called The Velderest. Oh, that came yeah. out in the late 90s, which is a just, it's just erotica kind of, it's not even, it's it's a science fiction novel with a lot of erotica in it. And it's about two people who meet in VR and they live on this planet that's really oppressive. And so the only way they can kind of have the sex they want to have is if they meet secretly in VR and do it. Um, And there's like a whole amazing plot that unfolds that I I won't give away, but you should definitely check out the Veldorette. We'll put a link in our show notes. What we see over and over again in VR sex is this idea that we will leave our bodies kind of going circling back to what you were saying earlier, and that we won't be limited by our bodies anymore. Our bodies can merge with other bodies. We can turn into trucks or dinosaurs or (laughs) um, transformer sex transformer sex you can be older than you are younger than you are have body parts that you always wanted to have um and that the sex will be simultaneously more intimate because like i said there's this whole kind of subgenre of vr sex being all about like mind melding kind of where people's thoughts kind of intermingle Um, And then there's the other side of it, which is that it'll be just, like, pure physicality. Like, you'll be able to experience any physical sensation and have any body that you want, Um, you know, any body, like, actual body, but also anybody, like, another person, and that there won't be any rules anymore, and that it'll just be, like, pure carnal carnality, (laughs)
1: I don't know what to say. <laughs> um, it'll be guilt free. It'll be danger free. It'll be just free of all of the stuff that sex is loaded, loaded with in the real world. And it'll just be, you know, a chance to kind of escape into a very pure fantasy. And I feel like, you know, we know enough about VR and enough about people now to know that it's never going to be like that. And that, you know, even if we perfect all of the. Interfaces and you can just plug something directly into your brain and get whatever sensory inputs you want. It's never going to be perfect because we're dealing with humans, basically. We're dealing with humans and we're dealing with software
0: created by humans. There's going to be glitches, there's going to be griefers, there's going to be, you know, connections that are really, you know, bad. So like you'll be having sex with someone and they're they'll keep disappearing and (laughs) reappearing, or like part of their leg will fall off and then reappear on their head or whatever um, in a non-consensual way, not like (laughs) some kind of consensual leg-moving sex thing. So I do think it's interesting, though, that a lot of times in science fiction, even, even kind of more realistic science fiction about VR, that VR sex is either portrayed as the most depraved, terrible, sad thing or the most liberatory mm-hmm. and glorious and ecstatic thing that you can do. But it's, it's never in between. It's never kind of like, oh, we just kind of had average VR sex or like we just <laughs> we had like meat and potatoes sex, you know, um, however
1: you define that. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but you know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> and so. Oh my God. I want only vegan VR sex. Hello, vegan VR sex. Thank you very right? much. Needs exactly, to be completely I, I, vegan and organic. and I think it could be right? I mean, free.
0: Yeah, you could be an organic chicken having sex with a free range bunny, whatever you want. <laughs> no no animals will be harmed in your VR sex. But anyway, to give us a better sense of what VR sex is really like in the real world, When we come back, we're gonna talk to Five Star, who has made lots of VR porn. All right, so we have a very special guest, Five Star, who's gonna talk to us about a very important part of virtual reality in reality, which is VR porn. Yeah. Five Star, why
2: don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Well, my name is Five Star. I'm an adult film director, and I produce all kinds of uh, BDSM porn, and I also produce virtual reality BDSM porn.
0: Excellent. And tell us a little bit about what kind of a rig that you use to make VR porn? Like, what are we talking about? Like a giant camera? Like, what what does it look like? And what are you working with in the studio when you're trying to film people in VR?
2: So I think for um, adult VR, there's a couple of ways you can go. You can go with um, CGI, which I think that's starting to pick up right now. Um, and it doesn't look realistic. It, you know, it looks like cartoon characters. Huh. How does CGI work? Does that mean you're filming, but you're using a filter or... That's like computer-generated images, just kind of like you might see in an animated film, but... So it's um, literally just animation, right? It's an- Well, it's animation, and then on top of that, it's put inside of a gaming engine so that you can interact with it. Kind of the most mainstream VR porn that's happening right now is live action, and it's basically 3D video.
0: And so what is that like? I mean, when you're... F- filming in 3D video, does that mean that the people who are involved in the scene are wearing rigs on their heads? Or are you filming it and then it gets reconstructed into 3D? How does that
2: work? So there's a couple ways you can do it. Um, we use two different cam- we, t- we use two cameras, one for each eye, the left eye and the right eye. So that creates the 3D effect. And it, it usually goes in front of somebody's head if it's a POV shoot that we're doing. So it, it'll be right in front of their face. And it often requires people to be in weird positions that they wouldn't usually be in when they're trying to have intimate moments with people. And
0: so <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is the camera like
2: strapped to their face? Or are you like actually holding a camera in front of their face while they're trying to have sex? You know, we use grip and uh, I use speed rail to build a rig so that it kind of s- we can put the camera in front of their face and it's not necessarily attached to their body. Some people do attach it to their body, but that can get really disorienting if you're actually watching the footage later, because it's kind of shaky. And um, the cool thing about the VR headsets now is that basically it's a the image is mapped 360 or often actually 180 is kind of the industry standard right now, and you can look around. So you can move your head and you can see what's going on in the scene. Um, So we don't actually need to put it on somebody's head. It's better to like start with a stationary picture.
0: The thing about virtual reality is that, like you said, you can kind of, I as the viewer can look around. And so, but I can only look around at what the camera has filmed. So it sounds like what you're saying is that you'd have two people or however many people um, performing, and then you have a camera that's watching them that isn't from their perspective but it's just like sort of next to them. And then it's filming in 180 or 360.
2: Well, that that's definitely one thing you can do. Maybe I can explain a scene. Uh, there's- yeah, explain a scene, like give us a, a picture like So kink VR is something that I produce for for and we do a, a number of different genres. But um, something that's really popular in VR is like male POV. So like cis male POV. So the guy is sitting down And usually in a reclined position to uh, make it easier to film his body. So you, when you're watching the movie, you you are supposed to be him. You feel like you're him. The camera's right in front of his face. Oftentimes his head is even tilted backwards, so he can't even see it. So it's pretty convincing. It's really compelling. You you can you actually, I think you actually feel like you're the person. I mean, I think some people are a little more susceptible to that than others. But I mean, the first time I tried it, I felt like I was that person then there's action happening to you because we're doing BDSM and we might do it from a male dom perspective you know we've kind of broken some of the VR porn rules and had the the guy move a little bit it seems like some fans don't want the guy to move because they're not actually making the movements happen, but because we're trying a different genre, that's what ha- what's happening. So that's that's like a POV shot, um, and then we also do voyeur shots as well. And um, that's not as popular right now in VR porn, but there's a couple people doing it. And it, you don't you don't have a body when you're when you're watching. It's like you're a ghost. You're the voyeur, yeah, right? You're like, the voyeur. You're, you're watching. Yeah. And and the action is being played to you. And I think that's part of the magic of VR porn. It just feels very intimate. People are getting up in your in your face into the camera, but you don't have to necessarily identify with a body. It, I think it still feels compelling and and in a way it I think it's more universal because you don't ha- you don't have to match up, convince yourself that the body in the frame is you.
0: Yeah, because I
2: watched a
0: VR porn scene where it was a POV scene. And so I looked down at myself and I was like, Oh, I'm a dude in a white (laughs) t-shirt. And it was very disorienting. I mean, it did feel like it was me. And that was what was so weird was I was like, Huh, all right. I have this like weird I'm I'm a headless guy because if I look really closely at my neck, it's just black. <laughs> so there's this sort of like weird spot where my head is supposed to be. But then yeah, it's like you look down and it's like I have all the parts that I would expect a cis male would have. And it it was strange. It it definitely felt very different than watching from like a voyeur perspective.
2: Yeah. And I think that, you know, that happens because we're kind of playing towards the audience and the people who are actually paying for us to make this happen. Um, And it tends to be a more cis male audience.
0: And so that's more popular is feeling like you're inside the scene as opposed to watching the scene.
2: I think so. You know, it's hard for me to say for sure. Based off of comments and talking to fans, like the POV is very popular, but there's a lot of things you can't get in POV. And oftentimes there's only. Certain physicians that work, and not everybody wants to like only do reverse cowgirl and um, cowgirl, <laughs> um, those are like the most <laughs> popular. A lot I was of gonna ask you, like, that's <laughs> just like it's
0: all cowgirl all the time. I was gonna ask, like, how is it for the actors and the performers, like, if they're trying to do something that's already pretty acrobatic? And then you're saying, all right, hold your head totally still. Keep it at this angle. Like, is it, does it make it more challenging to do those kinds of scenes? You
2: know, I have to say it's one of the most challenging thing to ask people to do. And we do some pretty extreme stuff at kink.com. I I hang hang people from uh, their ankles, like from the ceiling by their ankles. And um, this is definitely harder, I would have to say. There's less intimacy with your partner. The scene itself in the end might seem more intimate, but with a camera in front of your face, there's something in between you and your partner. And so a lot of people have a hard time performing, especially, you know, male performers are expected to keep an erection. And and I have to say, I think that the eye contact is something that really helps people with that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. So my question was, you know, what's the most surprising thing about filming in VR, like either logistically or just in terms of like how it feels? What's the thing that you didn't expect to be an issue or to be, a, you know what's the most surprising part of it?
2: So the thing that surprises me now is that we're using basically the same methods of shooting VR porn as we did when this first started getting kind of, I think it was around 2015, when this first started getting popular. And um, there's not been very much innovation. I I was hoping by now we would have cameras that actually you just press record and you go kind of like our other cameras. I mean, you know, settings and all of that, of course, but it's all jerry-rigged together still. And I think that has to do with it not really taking off in the mainstream. So um, that's actually what I'm surprised about, how much we have to jerry-rig things and put things together with like kind of tape and bubble gum and to make it happen.
0: That's really interesting. So what are, one of the things we were talking about earlier in the episode was how there's all these fantasies about what sex is going to be like in VR and how it's going to be this like amazing experience where we kind of leave our bodies and we can like float and merge with each other and turn into dinosaurs and whatever we want to do. <laughs> and um, I wonder like how you think that stacks up with what people can really do in VR porn. Like when you think about, you know, like a near future for VR porn, like say you actually got a plug and play VR camera where it was like essentially like the cameras you use for 2D. Do do you think people would be able to have these kinds of fantastical
2: experiences or what do you think it would be like in reality? I think we've barely scratched the surface on what VR porn can be. So the the level of interactivity is pretty limited at the moment. There is some development in volumetric video where um, instead of right now we're kind of like shooting from the inside out shoots the subject from the outside in and so you can actually walk you can walk around the subject and what's happening and you can kind of like look and see you can go you can crawl underneath their legs and see what's happening down there (laughs) so you you can't do that now but you would be able to do that in the future you know what there you can do that now um it just looks really bad so (laughs) um (laughs) you know we we've had people pitch us like hey buy our technology it's only like half a million dollars and it looks really bad um and um <laughs> such a deal <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of creepy you know it's like oh she looks like a zombie but she's not supposed to actually be a zombie she's supposed to be a sexy girl in a club because there's h- holes all in through her through her body um oh. <laughs> i wish because oh, the rendering her. gives her holes yeah or the cameras are not able to capture her armpits because it's too hard to like shoot an armpit or a crotch or something like that because there's there's too many crevices. Yeah, so I think the level of interactivity like that if that when that technology gets better because we we know they're working on it, it's going to get better. Like we have at least 10 years until we can do something like that. As technology gets better, it's going to become more realistic. So, that's why we're really leaning heavily on cinematic VR because it's just more compelling than any of the 3D rendered stuff that um, that's coming out right now. So unfortunately, like the fantastical stuff that that you're talking about is, you know, I think, you know, some people can get lost in it. And some sometimes there's a suspension of disbelief, but there's not enough to convince a majority of people that that's what's that's what's going on. So, um, you know, it's it's just we're not we're not there yet. Um, There are you know, people are working in haptics and uh, teledildonics and um, kind of like stroking machines to kind of go along with the the videos that you're watching. And I think that is that is contributing to the experience. And, you know, we're slowly getting there, but we're, we're way off, unfortunately. Can you explain the difference between cinematic
1: VR and uh, 3D VR?
2: Cinematic VR can be 3D or it can be 2D. So it just means that you're shooting from a different Uh, perspective like the right eye and the left eye Um, and that's that's greedy cgi is i guess i was kind of using like live i guess i should have said uh live action versus cgi is what oh okay cool Uh, to be more more to clarify
0: so i guess like i was curious from your experiences making 3d video making vr video like what seems to be the thing that works the best in terms of realizing a sex fantasy in VR? Like what, what is the most seamless and like
2: seems to make the audience feel like, Oh, I actually had VR sex. I really think that the performance is everything. And when, when the performer can look into your eyes and make you believe that you're there, it's successful and you can have performers that come in, they kind of half-ass it and they're not really like looking, looking the camera correctly and they're not actually imagining another person behind the camera and it just doesn't sell it as much. And so right now we're really relying on the performance and what the performer can bring to the table. That's what I think is the most convincing. I mean, obviously it helps to have as high resolution as you can get. And that's one thing that's improved in the last few years. Also, the audio makes a huge difference. So kind of recording as if the microphones are two different ears. And so like, yes, the technical helps, but more than anything, it's what the performers are bringing to the scene.
0: Yeah, making you feel like you're there because of how the people are acting in the scene. Yes. And then it's just, Cowgirl or reverse cowgirl, and that's it.
2: <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you know, we've experienced, I mean, people have experimented, you know, people do, we do standing scenes, and performers hate that because they have to like lean back and stand and fuck at the same time. Um, so that is, you know, those are positions that happen. Um, there's a lot of experimenting going on. Some people have tried moving the camera, but only slightly because you don't want to make people sick when they're trying to, you know, get off. So, like, there's things that you can do that's different. And I have to say, at Kink VR, we do a lot of different things because um, our content is not focused on just penetration. Like, that's not the main goal of our content. So, uh, we're able to do a lot of cool stuff with bondage and suspension and where we're, like, we're swinging people, like, closer to the camera and away from the camera and we're using a lot of implements. So you don't need to, it doesn't need to be connected to a body. And I think that um, the main challenge we have is that a penis, if is connected to the POV person, like if, it, if it's not connected and th- then you can do a lot more with the camera. So um, you can push the boundaries, but I do think um, a lot of mainstream corn just kind of has their go-to of a guy sitting on a couch.
0: That's interesting. I love the idea that using tools makes it more freeing in a way because it's like, oh, well, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah, we've done fucking machines. We've which is way easier than a person. Um fucking huh. machines. Dick on a stick. Um. <laughs> Dick on a stick. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. That's like, I
0: think that's the future. Like, <laughs> or maybe that's the path. I just think about like in CGI movies where people are always acting opposite, like, a you know, like a foam ball on a stick or whatever. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> the
2: same idea. <laughs> people are, are starting to think outside the box more and... In fact, I think a lot uh, solo VR stuff is really taking off right now as well. So, um, and kind of mixing in different mediums like ASMR with VR, people have been kind of experimenting with that lately and that's pretty cool.
0: Well, to finish up, why don't you tell us about your favorite VR video that you've done and what made it really
2: cool? Ooh, that's hard. Um, I have to say like for me, I really focus on the performances, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pick out one that uh, the per- performers did an excellent job. Um, we did an interrogation scene with um, two performers, Lee Raven and Charlotte Sart, and they were incredible. The guys were Derek Pierce and Hell for and they were awesome. They were they acted like they actually were crooked cops trying to oh, inter- nice. interrogate. And the acting was so good. It really takes you, it helps get you into the scenario. And since we're doing BDSM, like we had some of the toughest performers on set that day, and they really took it and the, and the doms took them there. So for me, I have to say, the performance The performance is almost everything, and um, the technology is is secondary, because if you don't have the performance and you have great technology, you're just not going to be convinced.
0: Yeah. Can I ask you a technical question, though, about the the interrogation scene? So where is my point of view as the audience when I'm watching a VR scene of interrogation?
2: We've done it both ways. The scene I'm talking about, in that scene, we had the main interrogator and their Co cop were characters and you were in the position of the secondary interrogator so that the secondary interrogator doesn't say anything, but um, the first the first interrogator is like shoving the girls into the camera and and. Asking them questions and saying, "Look into my partner's eyes and tell them what a dirty slut you are," something like that. You know. Yes. Uh, oh, <laughs> interesting. So you get to be like the good cop. Yeah, <laughs> there you scene. go. Good cop, bad cop. Um, and so, mm-hmm. it, actually, for kink VR, um, and I haven't seen really anyone do something like this. We've been doing four-person scenes, and there's a lot of like one-on-one scenes out there, but so it's really it's really difficult to do scenes where there's a male dominant but he has to sit behind the camera rig and not move very much so we bring in a second male dominant and um he kind of like we call him the handler he really drives home that that dynamic and then and then the two ladies kind of like take turns being the sub and we usually bring him in for the day and the guys take turns and we do a couple of scenes that way and that's really the only way we can get across that dynamic. If not like the guy would be um, stuck in a position which works really well for femdom cause we just tie him up and he just stays in that position and the woman like does all the work in front of him. I don't know if that made any sense. <laughs>
0: that did make sense. That was super interesting. Um... So I wanted to just ask you one more question to finish up, which is, um, is there anything that you've seen in representations of virtual reality in movies or TV that you wish people would stop getting wrong? Like, is there just like one thing about VR where you're just like,
2: no, stop saying that.
0: (laughs) Stop making it look like that.
2: You know, I don't don't get those feelings because I feel like a lot of the depictions of vr are very futuristic like it's like 50 years in the future or something like that and i and i hope i hope it's magical and i hope you do have like a psychic connection with someone in the future i think that that would be cool i mean maybe a little bit creepy but um i think it would be cool so i depending don't depending on the scene <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> um so i think that yeah they're a little more fantastical representations but i think that's kind of fun and it's something to maybe maybe strive for. Awesome.
0: And I just wanted to um, note that all of the scenes that Five Star is describing are all things that were done before the quarantine. And now that we're in quarantine, she's making awesome PSAs about how to stay six feet away because your Dom told you to do it. <laughs> we'll put a link to that in the notes. Okay. So, Five Star, where can people find you on the internet? Where can they find your work?
2: Well, you can find my VR work on kinkvr.com. And you can find me on Twitter at I Am Five Star.
0: And what about your company?
2: I have a small uh, video production company with my partner, Sadie Lola, and it's called Phil Syndicate. And you can find our latest project on filthyfemdom.com. Awesome.
0: So thank you so much for coming in yeah, and thank you. telling us
2: all about the latest
0: VR porn stuff. That's really awesome. You've been listening to Our Opinions Are Correct. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us, we have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com/slash Our Opinions Are Correct. We have lots of audio extras and essays and extra thoughts and excerpts from our books that you can read there. Um, unpublished expert excerpts, so it's like super elite oday wares. And if you'd like to see us on Twitter, we're at oocpod. And you can find this podcast where fine podcasts are purveyed. Please do leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find us. And thank you so much to our producer, Veronica Simonetti at Women's Audio Mission. Thank you to Chris Palmer for the music. And we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye.
1: Bye.